Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The human zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. She has survived yet another weekend of the long knives inside the haven of Downey Street. Only one resignation, only one apparent leadership bid and only one European Court of Justice ruling that we can actually forget the result of the referendum and pretend it didn't happen. Of all the people involved in this Brexit debacle, Theresa May must be wishing she could turn back time because by this time on Wednesday she might no longer be the Prime Minister and here's why. She's likely to lose heavily if the so-called meaningful vote goes ahead tomorrow and we are assured that it will. Parliament is then likely to trigger a power grab and take control of the process. She could be pressed into a last-minute trip to Brussels in an attempt to reach a better deal at the last minute. And even Jeremy Corbyn might reluctantly have a go at wresting the levers of government away from the Tories. All in all, it is a colossal mess. She should have done the right thing on Friday when I called for her resignation right here on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Now she seems destined to suffer the death of a thousand cuts before our very eyes. How very shabby, how very pointless and how very prevent Preventable. 0344 499 1000. I'll be joined this morning by Katie Perrier and a host of guests as well as we chart the progress of the ship of state, which appears to be hauled below the waterline. 0344 499 1000. And also out there in the rest of the world, we'll be finding out why the railways are preparing for another month of chaos and whether we're going to have a white Christmas. These are the important questions you need the answers to. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So I'm very pleased to see that so many people retweeted and watched the little uh, video that we did here on Talk Radio on Friday of me demanding basically the resignation of Theresa May, the Prime Minister, because she simply hasn't got a clue how to proceed. She doesn't seem to know how to make this deal work. She doesn't seem to think, uh, like everybody else does, that she is in fact uh, an endangered species. She doesn't seem to realise that the crosshairs uh, are very much trained on her, not only from the Labour side of of, of the House, but also from her own back benches. She's not going to make it through the week, I promise you even though she clings on uh, like some kind of a limpet onto the side of a rock, even as the waves come crashing down all around her. I just don't see how she possibly can. Boris Johnson's had his hair cut. That must mean something significant, surely. 0344 499 1000. 
is there going to be somebody else running the government by Friday of this week? My bet is there probably will be. Uh, but let's talk to somebody who's been inside the wheels of government. Katie Perry, a former director of communications, of course, at number 10. Uh, Katie joins us now. Very good morning to you, Ms Perrier. Good morning. Good so, morning. So, I mean, this is a terrible, terrible state of affairs for Theresa May. You've spoken in the past about how resilient she is, about how determined she can be. Surely even she must see that she doesn't really have any cars left to play. But you say that though, Mike, but, but she's known this moment was going to come over the two-year period. She's known that she's been sitting on that fence for two years. At some point, she needed to come off the fence and decide exactly what she was going to do. She was going to offend, massively offend one side of her party and a number of parliamentarians in the House of Commons too. So she's always known this moment, moment was coming. It's very different from the shock that she experienced after the election campaign where she looked like she'd been crying all night. She looked very weak. She looked uh, she didn't look at all kind of strong. And at the situation she's in now, I understand it although they genuinely don't know how they're going to play the way forward in the next couple of but days that's what I mean. I mean, and they genuinely might... don't know what kind of numbers they're looking at although you know without a doubt it's going to be a dramatic defeat so it's going to be a last minute decision as to whether or not to delay that vote but Theresa May herself as I understand it from my former colleagues at number 10 is quite bullish she's always you know she's never said that she's going to you know, turn over to you know, colleagues on the right or the left of her because she looks around her and she thinks, yes, I not, might not be exactly what you're looking for. Yes, I may have let you down. Yes, I had things like the election result, which is coming back to bite her on the backside every single day because she wouldn't be in this mess, no. mess if she had a bigger majority yeah, she, in the House also, of Commons. Yeah, if she hadn't bothered having the election, she wouldn't be sitting here with this facing her. But the other problem is, as well, Casey, and you've always said these things and you're very supportive of her and I get that. However, you know, they said this last Tuesday that they were in good shape, that all was well. It then turned out that they lost three votes in a row in the chamber. They also then were found uh, in contempt of Parliament. This other uh, amendment, which has been put through by Dominic Grieve, one of her own, uh, you know, former cabinet ministers from way from years ago, uh, saying that they're going to take control of the Brexit debacle. So, I mean, she, like I say, I mean, it's not really in her hands anymore, is it? But actually, Dominic Grieve's amendment, which is very technical and boring, but his amendment might be the, the thing that saves her skin in a strange way, mm. roundabout way, because if they vote for Dominic Grieve's amendment early on then we won't actually get to Theresa May's vote because right. he would have steered us off course. And so if I was Theresa May and uh, you know, the Cabinet colleagues, we'd be thinking tactically, should we encourage all of our colleagues to back Dominic Green's amendment so that we can take this vote off the table for a few days? The trouble is, is that for the last two years, Theresa May has kicked this issue, this can down the road, and she's running out of road and she's running out of time. And cans. And, so, yeah, and cans. <laughs> and so there's not, you know, there's not many... Um, you know, options that she has left. She either decides to go ahead with the vote because in some respects, I think that that's a good idea because she then loses badly. She tries to hold on a little bit longer. She goes on the next, very next day on the aeroplane to Brussels and says... This is this is what's happened. I warned you of this. You have to change your deal or you get Jeremy Corbyn or you get Boris Johnson and you don't want either of those and therefore I am your best bet at a reasonable negotiation. Yeah, but she can hardly go so, back. Surely she can hardly go back there and say, you know, this is what I told you would happen. You've done me a terrible disservice after she's told everybody here that this is the best deal I'm going to get because she's already said that. So yeah, but she that's can't politics. Just, well, that, you know, you she can't, she can't say, she can't sit there selling people, her deal. Well, most ordinary people call it lying, Casey. You can't sit there and sell your deal and try and say that it's the best deal you've possibly got if you think that, you know, there's possibility that you could go and, you know, almost blackmail them by going back and saying, look, 
you didn't believe me. Here is the evidence. Yeah. I've royally been done over by my own colleagues because of you lot. Uh, you know, this is the last chance. And I never trust the EU when they say there's absolutely no chance of any movement. And, you know, we know the way EU goes. When they deal with the Greece bailout, they yeah. went right to the end, right to the last no, kind of half that. an hour. And then they she, crack a yeah, deal. But, but then why didn't she do that? Why did she accept it knowing that it wasn't going to go through? Why did she think, because you're not going to convince me from this point in, 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 in the proceedings that she's some kind of tactical genius because she clearly isn't. I think that she's hanging on with her finger now yeah. and she genuinely felt that that was the best thing they were going to offer her because they're playing hardball. They are playing massively hardball towards us. And therefore, you know, and, and she, she feels that the big thing that people were worried about regarding the referendum was the fact that uh, we would continue with freedom of movement. She feels that's been taken out. She's got a win on that. But right from the very beginning, everybody you know, just understands that pretty much this is a bit of a bum deal. It's not as good as we wanted it to be. But a point there is quite something that she's missed and failed to do, which is that because she came out with her red lines really early on, because she was really powerful and quite kind of authoritative about the kind of deal we're going to get, it's going to be a bespoke deal, it's going to be this, that and the other, she left herself no room for manoeuvre yeah. whatsoever. And as a result, she hasn't prepared Britain for compromise. And, of course, she's trying to do that in the last couple of weeks, and it's not worked. Well, this was, my point last, this was my point last Friday, that after having had a week of sort of the opportunity <laughs> to debate this subject in Parliament, we are further away from convincing anyone that the deal is a good one than we were a week before. So that tells you that she has no leadership skills, she has no ability to persuade anybody of anything, and therefore she has to go and make way for somebody who can get the deal through, whatever the deal is, with a bit of leadership quality. The trouble is, though, is that when Theresa May looks around her, and indeed when we in the Westminster bubble look around her and think, OK, the replacement, what can the replacement do? How much better a deal can the replacement get us that she has failed to do? Because, of course, we used to look back and think, well, David Cameron did a really, proceed, really bad it, deal. It is, but... You know, getting rid of a party leader and a prime minister at this time in the negotiations is always going to be exceptionally rocky because, say, Boris Johnson comes in, he's going to throw out the deal, he's going to t- tell them they can kiss goodbye to their 39 billion, you know, fair yeah. enough. But um, he's going to say. But that's what we need, isn't we, it? We need somebody to take a hard line with them, surely. But we're going to crush out with a no deal, and the European Union don't really give a toss about that, Mike. That's the problem. We have, we're the ones that really never that. had that many cards. We've never had that many cards to I play. I just totally disagree. They need us a lot more than we need them, in my view, right? I don't buy um, that at all. Well, you may not buy it, but, I mean, that's up to you. You're entitled to your own opinion. This is democracy, uh, even though we're in the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. <laughs> now, I was bottom, wondering when you were going to mention that. The bottom line is, right, in the end, this is why people have lost faith in government. This is why they've lost faith in this particular Prime Minister and in this particular Parliament, because it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all nonsense. None of it, really. If she comes back with a different deal, you know, who's to say that she'll have any better luck pushing that through and convincing us that that's true after having lied to us about the first one? Well, the thing is, of course, she's not just playing to the country in terms of the Brexit deal. She's playing to her own party. She's saving her own skin here. And so the next couple of days, she'll either delay that vote to try and put off the inevitable just a couple of days longer or she'll have it. And then she'll, she'll be very decisive and say, look, you know, I knew this was going to happen, but I needed to go back to Brussels and tell them that that's what the British Parliament think of their deal, etc., etc. But she's in a position now whereby she needs. There are colleagues that do not want Jeremy Corbyn, that want to support her, but feel they can't because it's such a bum deal. That if she just gets a few more things through the negotiations, she will win over and get on side, and she will be able to allow them to go back to their constituencies and say, "I pushed the Prime Minister to get a better deal. It was because of me. You owe me because I basically saved the." Brexit help save the Brexit process. So she's got to try and give her colleagues something that she's not giving them currently. Whether or not we run out of time for all of this and we get into territory which is 
you know, second referendum territory, which I have real reservations mm. about, then, you know, is, is anyone's guess how much longer? I mean, this is meant to be done by October. It was then meant to be done by a, person, you know, a couple of summits in November. We're now in December and we're getting closer to Christmas. Yeah. We're running out of time. Well, exactly. They don't want to work over Christmas MPs. They like to be home. I mean, they spend a little enough time at home as, as it is. They don't really want to be sitting in Parliament. Two final questions for you, Casey. Very important ones. What has Boris Johnson done with all his hair? Why has he cut it all off? Well, when I worked for Boris Johnson back in 2007, eight, when he was running for mayor of London and people said he wasn't serious enough to yeah. be mayor, there's no way, I mean, you know, he's just a complete mess. One of the things we did then is we just cut the booze. So we said no one drinks on this campaign. No one has a, no one has an evening drink, I bet, nothing. I bet you did. And No, I didn't. We, <laughs> do you know what? When, when we won, I, it was the first drink I'd had in months really? and I got really drunk very quickly <laughs> and danced on the dance floor. I made a complete you know, fool of myself. But, um, uh, you know, we said no booze. No late night eating, uh, get your hair cut, get right. a new suit, get new shoes and smarten up your act. People want a mayor of London that looks smarter than you are currently. Yeah. And he did. And within about a fortnight, GQ said he was the best dressed man in London. And he was very, obviously very serious about this new opportunity. And, you know, he looked smarter. I saw a very different Boris Johnson on the TV yesterday than I did a month or two months ago. He's absolutely smartened up his act. And I thought he looked slick. I thought he'd lost some weight. I liked the haircut. And I thought, wow, OK, great. You know, you're taking this seriously. OK, so if he's taking it Seriously, there must be something going on because he doesn't mess about. And finally, uh, I was told over the weekend that one of Theresa May's sort of uh, secret desires and secret loves, which nobody, not that many people know about, but you will, is peanut butter. Will she be slapping on the old peanut butter on a sandwich this morning, trying to make sure that she can withstand whatever comes out of this afternoon? Well, the thing is about Theresa May is that she does have incredible resilience. And I know I keep on saying that, but in this in these times, I think that there is a disconnect from what the public want right now for the politicians and that what the politicians are obsessed with. The public want people to get on with it and she's working silly hours around the clock to get on with it. I'm hoping she's had a Weetabix as well as her peanut butter. Her secret love is crisps, actually. Really? So, I wonder if she's got... What flavour? Salt and vinegar. Okay, not Salt and vinegar not, crisps. Not, not she gives them up for Lent every year and I'm uh-huh. like, what? Just keep on eating the crisps. No one will know. I know, you fine. see, but not everybody's as weak as you, Casey. I know, that is story. true. It's a great show at the weekend, by the way. I'll talk to you soon. You still owe me a Christmas drink before Christmas. I do, uh, I do. We'll have to get that sorted out. I promise, uh, Casey I Perrier, uh, former communications chief at 10 Downing Street for Theresa May, uh, giving us the lowdown on why she thinks that I'm wrong to say Theresa May will be gone before the end of this week. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. 
For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So Christmas is coming. We're going to find out a little bit later on in the show if we're going to have a white Christmas or not, because apparently there's a bit of a cold snap coming towards the end of this week. It might go down to as, as small as minus five uh, in some parts of the north of England and Scotland. There's certainly going to be some snow up there. Whether there's any snow uh, down in the southeast it remains to be seen. However, what we do know uh, is that regular as clockwork, there's going to be a new timetable. And the last time we brought a timetable in, uh, we were told that the government was at fault because they didn't have enough train drivers that knew about the new timetable, didn't have enough trained guards they didn't have enough trains as well so let's see whether christian walmart our local and friendly uh, man who knows everything there is to know about the railway business uh, can tell us if this is going to be any better christian a very good morning to you Good morning. Thank yes, you. it's nice to be talking about something other than Brexit, isn't it? <laughs> isn't as it, you say. Isn't it just, although not necessarily in a good way, because um, I'm slightly concerned that the rollout of this, this new timetable uh, will have the same problems as the rollout of the last one? Uh, no, I mean, they've uh, been careful not to have uh, so many changes. Look, in the last timetable, it was 48% of all train uh, trains right. scheduled to run every day. That's okay. about uh, 10,000 out of the 20,000 uh, were going to have their timetables altered. And, and this one is nothing like that. Oh, OK. So we expect there to be so slightly less ambitious um, and slightly more commonsensical then by the sound of it. Uh, yes. And, and uh, the, what will happen is that some of the changes that were scheduled for May didn't in the end happen. Right. And they are gradually introducing them, but over a longer period. But there are still concerns that, you know, some people might find uh, their train not turning up and so on. But they, they, they maybe they have learned their lesson to mm. some extent. Although, as I've argued for many years, that the structure of the railways and all this complicated thing of having 20 different train operating companies yes. and network rail and all that... That adds to the problems. Well, it does, because it's not been a great year if you're a train company, has it? I mean, we've had problems in the north of England pretty much all the way through the year. Uh, I think this weekend alone I was watching the news the other night where there was a problem of people getting around up and uh, around about sort of Manchester, around Leeds. For some reason, there were, there were fewer trains than there were meant to be. Uh, we're now hearing the southwest is going to be on strike again, uh, possibly in the weekend just before leading up to Christmas. You know, I mean, it's it's a dreadful system and it just does need to be it seems to be sort of if you had a pipe cleaner and you could sort of run it through that's what you would do yeah i mean one can be slightly unfair because uh, you know passenger numbers have literally doubled yeah. since uh, the mid 90s right. um you know and any industry which has experienced such a rate of growth is it, bound to creak at the edges particularly when you know the infrastructure is virtually all originally built in the 19th century yeah. so uh, you know, and today we get a nice announcement that, you know, Waterloo's, some of Waterloo's uh, European station, uh, platforms are now coming into use. But, you know, that's it's more than 10 years since yeah. they've been out of use. I was going to say, yeah. You know, that's and, uh, the, the, the old Eurostar end of Waterloo. The old Eurostar terminal. Yeah. Uh, I did arrive on one the other day from Reading, and they're now opening some more of them. But, my God, why did it take, you know, a decade to... <laughs> yeah. Uh, put into use some uh, uh, platforms that would have had a great use over the last uh, period of time. No, indeed. And I mean, why have numbers doubled so so much over that time period that you've just mentioned? Is it, well, is it, it's is interesting because it... I've been reading uh, a report into this just recently, 
And essentially, it's not much to do with the train companies. So there's no kind of, oh, we're so brilliant because we're privatised now and so on. It's what uh, dear old Gordon Brown called exogenous factors. In other words, things that are nothing to do with uh, the rail industry. But things like lots of development around uh, railways, old railway stations, so lots of what the Americans call transit-oriented development, so people just walk down, take the station and, and to the station and yeah. take the train into work. Right. Lots of employment in London and particularly a shift in the type of employment. So there's lots of white-collar workers yes. rather than blue-collar workers. And white-collar workers tend to take the train, whereas blue-collar workers might who might be working in factories that are inaccessible around might more likely uh, drive their cars. So yeah. there's lots of things like that which have uh, boosted uh, rail use. But um, maybe those factors are coming to an end. There's another reverse factor, which is the use of the Internet, Mm. which uh, has reduced uh, some uh, commuting. And indeed, what everybody says in the industry is that Thursday is the new Friday. In other words, Lots of people uh, come home on a Thursday night and don't go into work yes. on the Friday. I mean, there's no question in my in my small anecdotal world that I can tell you that the tube trains are quite much more quiet on a Friday, as indeed are, are the buses in London. But but I mean, equally speaking, if the n- numbers of, of passengers have doubled, then surely uh, the revenues must have gone up as well. Where uh, what we don't really see, and you'll probably tell me I'm wrong about this, what we don't really appear to see very much of is an awful lot of investment. Well, no, there is a lot of investment, but the fact is that it's the passengers that are largely paying for it. So what happened was that uh, you know, in the early 2000s, passengers were contributing about a third of the cost of the railway, and right. two-thirds was coming from subsidies of one sort or another. Now they're contributing two-thirds of that. So not only have the fares gone up, but of course... Uh, as you say, revenues have gone up enormously thanks to the increased numbers. And uh, the amount of the proportion of taxpayers' money that going into it is much less. Right. So uh, it's now much more down to the passengers to, to pay for that. No, indeed. But what I'm saying is is that, you know, we were told, I think it was last week or the week before, that, that prices are going up again uh, in January. I think it's 3% this time. 3%. People will yeah. say, well, you know, it's in line with inflation, la la But what I'm saying is is that, like, in all things, and I'm not just blaming the train services for this, you know, uh, same with the petrol stations, same with the petrol pumps, same with the shops, you know, the prices never seem to go the other way. They never seem to get any cheaper. Well, it, there is a difference between uh, the petrol issue and the fares issue, which is that the taxes on uh, on diesel and petrol have not been increased for nine years, mm. whereas the government legislates to increase fares by largely above the rate of inflation for much of the last 10 years, and yeah. then recently just the rate of inflation. Uh, but, uh, you know, that has a great impact. You know, wages have not on the whole, until very recently, gone up as fast as inflation. Yeah. So uh, people are basically paying a higher proportion if they're using the trains. And what's more, that kind of encourages people to use their cars. And the last thing in the world we need is more cars on the road. I've just spent uh, a few days in Karachi, yeah. and I can tell you, uh, they get around thanks to the fact most people are on motorbikes. But if they all got into cars, Karachi would grind to halt. And the same is true here in a lot of respects. If if, if the people stopped using the trains mm. and jumped into their cars, 
it would just be permanent gridlock. No, of course. But some people have been forced to do that because they can't get the train that they want when they want to get it or it's too expensive or whatever. And, of course, uh, you were talking about wages and inflation and all of that. The only good place, it seems to me, to be getting yourself a job is Transport for London. I'm indebted to the Daily Mail this morning for showing me that apparently the average wage now at TfL is about £83,000 a year. And one particular bloke who you may know, uh, whose name is uh, Mr Woodhead, uh, is named Brian Woodhead. He is apparently the uh, um, uh, the sort of uh, what, is it, what is he? He works for Transport for London in some uh, customer service capacity. He's making nearly three hundred thousand a year. That's an extraordinary amount of money for a public body to pay him, isn't it? Yes, I mean uh, TfL has famously paid uh, over the top wages. It has been a pretty efficient organisation. But I can tell you one thing: I understand that there's some big cuts coming up, and you've heard it first from me. Oh, really? Um, but I hear on the grapevine that uh, they are going to announce some. Uh, quite severe cutbacks, partly, of course, because of the problems with Crossrail, yes. um, which has reduced the income, but also because the government is basically squeezing uh, transport for London. It's not uh, subsidising the buses and the train operation anymore. It's only going to subsidise investment. And that's unique of any city in the world, actually, uh, that they expect public transport to pay for itself. But that means that... Uh, Transport for London is being squeezed totally. Yes, indeed. And I mean, talk of uh, of those big sort of um, infrastructure projects. I mean, Crossrail uh, is one which is very, very late, very, very expensive, and and is likely to be delayed even more. Your your book about the story of Crossrail actually came out before Crossrail was finished. Ah, uh, well, that was because it was originally scheduled to come out in line. With, That's what with, I mean. The line That's open. what I mean. You mean? So I, I mean, who knew? With my my I mean, publisher, we we thought, oh well. We might as well publish it early. We can boast of the fact that, well, at yeah. least I wrote the book in time. Well, exactly. I mean, the point is is that, you know, who knew an author would actually hit a deadline earlier than a, than a train company <laughs> or the government would finish a project? Uh, yes. I mean, uh, to be fair to Crossway, yes, there's going to be another announcement today, actually, uh, suggesting that it might cost up to a billion more than expected. But putting that in context, you know, this is a huge and fantastic project. And even though I'm not a great fan of mega projects, Londoners are going to love Crosswell when it opens, and and let's hope that they do manage to open it uh, in time for uh, next Christmas. Because well, yes, that, that's that's what they plan. Because but London's, course, I mean, London's London's transport system does need some help, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. but polit- particularly, uh, you know, that will be a very useful line at Christmas because it goes underneath Oxford Street, and right. uh, you know, there's two stations in Oxford Street, you know, Bond Street and Tottenham Court Road. Yeah. And also politically, Sadiq Khan, who faces re-election in 2020, oh, is not going to uh, uh, want to uh, uh, see uh, the line not open in time for his election because no. it's obviously going to be a big boost for him. No, well, that would indeed work for him. Uh, one of the few things that would. And finally, Christian, what about this uh, ridiculous strike that's going to happen on the 22nd of December, uh, Southwest? Oh Rail? God! I mean, what a time! Uh, what a Mike, time I'm to so go on strike! Of, I'm so sick. Of, do you know I've done interviews on this? industrial action for the last two years on yeah. this station and various others mm. i'm so bored with it i mean uh, i really they, they 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 should be a way of finding a way around this i mean it's it's a very complicated dispute because at the end of the day it's barely about the, the issue they're talking about which is ensuring that uh, some that there's guards on the train the key issue is over whether uh, the guard has a certain status yes. and and 
really they should be able to resolve this. Now, Southwest Trains is interesting because they do still have guards on on all their trains, and, and uh, the the union in Waterloo is particularly strong, mm. so they've never quite dared to take them on. So this might presage, I'm afraid, to your long-suffering commuters, uh, another series of strikes. Yeah, well, that's the problem. I mean, and, and I know there's never a good time to go out uh, on, on, on strike and take industrial action, but the weekend of Christmas, really. No, that weekend, is really mean. I mean, that, that is, is just awful, because you know what's going to happen. Yeah. They're going to take off Saturday strike, but not bother yeah. coming back Sunday. Christmas Eve, Monday, don't worry yeah. about it. Christmas Day, nah, I don't think so. They won't be back till about the following yeah. Thursday. No, that's right. That's right. Okay. Well, thank you, Christian. uh, So, yes, nothing cheerful, I'm afraid. No, I'm afraid not. No, happy Christmas to you too. Christian Woolmar, the transport journalist, author of The Story of Crossrail, uh, which he managed to finish as a book, right, uh, before the actual Crossrail project has been finished. And if Sadiq Khan thinks he's getting re-elected, he may want to have another think about that. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've had quite a rip slaughter of a show thus far. Uh, So far still, nobody knows what the hell is going on uh, down in Westminster. The government uh, and the press office at Downing Street are still briefing uh, that, don't worry, uh, the vote is definitely going to go ahead on Tuesday and Theresa May is absolutely certain that she's going to win it. (laughs) So when you finish laughing at that, uh, I'll tell you what Bloomberg is saying. They're claiming that, in fact, uh, the government is going to cancel the vote and they're not going to carry it out at all because they actually think that they're going to lose it massively. Uh, so take your pick. You may as well flip a coin at this point. Uh, we're trying to figure out what the truth is. As soon as we find it, uh, we will let you know. 03444991000. Theresa May threatening uh, to still be in charge on Thursday, uh, which she may not be, uh, at which point she's going to take another little trip over to Brussels, apparently, and tell them uh, that she's not happy. She's going to stamp a little foot uh, and they're all going to fall about laughing, presumably, uh, and give her another glass of uh, French champagne. Uh, right now, though, we're going to talk about something far more sinister even than the Brexit negotiations, and that is uh, the fact that the Foreign Office here in London has apparently been funding a secret charitable organisation up in Scotland uh, to basically smear Jeremy Corbyn, Seamus Milne, anyone associated with the left in the Labour Party. And as you may be quite surprised to know, uh, I'm going to expose this because it's been in the Sunday Mail newspaper in Scotland uh, and many journalists are not going anywhere near it. I, however, am not one of those. 03444991000. going to talk to my good friend and talk radio colleague, Mr George Galloway, all about it, who gets a mention, by the way, uh, in uh, dispatches on this one. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, George Galloway, a very good afternoon to you, sir. And uh, I, must, I must say, with Christmas coming and the goose getting fat, um, who could have suspected that uh, the Foreign Office would be getting up to dirty tricks in Scotland, of all places? Not just Scotland, but Achtern Machte. And some of us, you included, know uh, just how off the Whitehall beaten track that is. Yes, absolutely. Which is a mystery in itself. You know, once upon a time, these psyops uh, in James Bond movies or uh, Ipcrest file and so on, they were all within striking distance of Trafalgar Square and, yes. and Whitehall. This particular one is in a derelict mill. I kid you not, I've been there. It is literally derelict in Achtermachte. And bizarre. And, uh, and uh, we are giving taxpayers' money, two millions this year, just this year. There's a £100 million pot 
for the operation as a whole. It is supposed to, in inverted commas, counter Russian disinformation, misinformation, close quotes. Uh, but it's been caught red-handed by your former paper and mine, the Daily Record yes. Sunday Mail, uh, as actually uh, undermining, uh, including on Twitter, direct uh, red-handed evidence, uh, the leader of Her Majesty's opposition. So just ponder that. The government is giving money to people to attack and undermine uh, the opposition in the country. That has never happened before. Well, at least we don't know that it ever has. So were you aware of this organisation called the Institute for Statecraft, which is a very bizarre name even to go by? Indeed, especially when you're situated in a derelict mill in Akhtamukhti. <laughs> yeah. It's a rather grand uh, title. Uh, yes, I was, uh, is the answer. Uh, the new material that the Daily Record Sunday Mail have revealed is the direct evidence that they've been attacking Corbyn, my old friend Seamus Milne, his director of communications, and the left in general. Yeah. And although you're right to correct me, of course these things may have gone on in the past, covertly, mm. uh, but this is the first overt evidence of that. And in uh, former times, if we, if our uh, 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 mutual friend Tam Diel had still been alive, he'd be bringing the Prime Minister down with this information. Well, indeed. It's absolutely nuclear. Well, it really does. It really, it really is extraordinary. I mean, even you get a mention, George, in one of the uh, dispatches that I've seen, where yes. they basically say that, unlike you, um, they're basically inferring that Jeremy Corbyn is even more sinister than you are uh, because he doesn't uh, insist on there being a conspiracy. He just hints at it. Yeah, uh, and all of this evidence of a conspiracy itself. Uh, so uh, it's there's lots of circular things in this package. <laughs> well, it's, uh, I mean, it reminds all, me of... Uh, you know, round of applause to the Daily Record. Yes, indeed. And Sunday Mail, because none of the other British media outlets had uh, taken the remotest interest in this. The Guardian are 24 hours late mm. to even reporting the existence of this story. Only Andrew Neil, another right-wing figure, Andrew Neil uh, weighed in on it yes. uh, last evening. Well, funnily uh, enough, that was Peter when it, that was when it first came to my attention because I follow Andrew Neil, and and I mean I yeah. do follow the record, but I you know I didn't actually I hadn't seen the story. But when I saw that, I suddenly thought, goodness me, this is extraordinary because they've also rather rather laughably got an organisation uh, sort of I don't know if it's part and parcel. Uh, of the uh, of the of 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 the said uh, the sort of I keep wanting to call it World of Warcraft, but they've got this kind of integrity initiative, which which you can almost certainly means that it, is, it has absolutely no integrity whatsoever. Well, it's Orwellian. The whole thing is Orwellian. Yeah. And the words uh, words mean actually the opposite uh, of what they're supposed yeah. to mean because this is the anti-integrity initiative. Because unless you know, it's like. I mean, if you were sitting or I was sitting in your chair, uh, punting the virtues uh, of, uh, I don't know, uh, Ford motor cars, yeah. uh, but nobody knew that Ford motor cars was paying us mm. for these peons of praise, right. that's the opposite of integrity and, and, of course, would get you sacked yes. in any other walk of life. What we now have with the Integrity Initiative is that people are, either paid or unpaid, you can take your pick, uh, punting stories, reporting lines, uh, attacking individuals because someone has 
guided them to do so. Yeah. And all of it in secret. Secrecy is the, the key point. I've got no problem about ideas being a marketplace. That's what they should be. Uh, but everyone has to be able to see through and into the market. When you've got secret hands and secret money tran- uh, transferring from one pocket to another, that's when you're on really quite also, an I mean, un- I'm, British I'm, road. Well, I think we're also... British, all of this? I think so. I think we're also entitled to know who else the Foreign Office is funding in this area, right. because it may well not always be anti-Russian or anti-Labour, but there might be a whole can of worms here that I, if I was still in the newspaper business, I would be opening up right now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we uh, we can infer, I think, that this is the tip of an iceberg. Mm. It's unlikely that a derelict mill in Akhtarmakhti is the only place this is happening. And it's unlikely uh, that these attacks on Corbyn and Milne and so on are the only attacks that have been made. It's just that these are the only so far that have been revealed. And what about this Chris Donnelly figure? He seems to be the guy who's named in the story as the senior manager. Now, apparently, he's a reserve officer in the British Army Intelligence Corps, who's previously headed the British Army's Soviet Studies Research Centre at Sandhurst, which sounds very murky indeed. Yes. Uh, I thought these chaps would have all evolved and it would be journalists mm. and uh, academics that ran these things nowadays. Yeah. This story reveals the presence not just of him, but of several, and not just ex-army officers, but ex-army intelligence officers. Yeah, it's all very, uh, very British coup material. Well, it is. Um, I mean, do, do you and, think? Uh, I mean, to, to, that does... might be why they made mistakes. You see, uh, they, they might not have been uh, uncovered if they hadn't been wearing army boots. Yes, uh, they, if they'd been smarter, sharper. Uh, journalists, for example, uh, they might yet have not been uh, revealed. But there's uh, army footprints over all of this, and that's the, the bit that's very un-British. Well, indeed. There are countries in the world where this kind of thing is probably routine, but so far as I'm aware, and I was nearly 30 years in Parliament, the army was not involved in politics, certainly not in domestic politics. No, quite. And I mean, is there any? Is there any? I mean, you'll you'll be, I'm sure, from time to time, at least, in touch with with uh, some of the people mentioned in this story, the Jeremy Corbyn's mm-hmm. and Seamus mm-hmm. Mills of this world. I mean, are they concerned at all about what might have been going on, or in terms of of surveillance, whether they worried that they're being, you know, uh, whether they're being hacked or anything? I, I think they probably are. They're pretty fixated on the story you've been talking about there, <laughs> uh, about the Brexit business and is the vote on tomorrow or not, and so on. But I think they will turn to it. By the end of the evening last night, the Shadow Foreign Secretary, Emily Thornberry, had weighed in on it. Yeah. John MacDonald, the Shadow Chancellor, had also. Uh, so I think as the week goes on, and I'm told there's more coming from the Daily Record, uh, that uh, that this will become a very very big domestic yes. political issue. While, while, while you're on, actually, we're just seeing uh, a breaking news here that the Brexit vote is indeed going to be delayed. This is uh, an entire contravention of the earlier briefing that was given out by yeah. Ted Downing Street. Uh, so there's all kinds of hell breaking loose there. Let's go there for just, chaos. just just yeah. for I mean, a moment. I mean, George, in all in all chaos. in all your time in Parliament. And there were many kind of periods of instability in the history of, yeah. of our governments over the years. But yeah. I don't think I've ever seen it quite so rudderless as this. No, I really haven't. And I normally know, as you do, uh, because we've been around the block a mm. few times, where things are headed, what's going to happen. I generally know. 
But I don't know what's going to happen here. And uh, the top people in the Labour Party don't actually know either. I can mm. tell you that uh, from a conversation no. last night. So uh, the, the, the chaos is unprecedented. I lived through in Parliament uh, Black uh, Wednesday yeah. or Black Monday and a right. Black Friday. I lived through Thatcher getting overthrown. But I've never seen chaos like this. No. Well, I mean, the outcome is utterly unpredictable. Quite extraordinary. I mean, you might find me foolish to even have sought his guidance, but I spoke to a bloke called Tom Brake earlier from the Lib Dems, the Brexit secretary. Ah, yes. He was refusing to, to look any further ahead than 48 hours. <laughs> yes, yes. You know. Uh, and God knows what the uh, our European interlocutors are making of it all. Well, exactly. No they've negotiated with such a... Uh, uh, a vicious and mean hand yes. because they hold the whip uh, because Britain has no government, effectively. No. Whose fault is that? It's somebody called Theresa May. Yes. She called an election she didn't need to call right. and lost her majority. And also every single prediction that she makes and every assurance that she gives yes. turns out yes. to be wrong. <laughs> yes, yes. It's quite extraordinary, yeah, get, really. Get her pools. Get her copy of the pools and do yeah. exactly the opposite. Yeah. Now, just going back for a moment to this story in Scotland, George. I mean, is yeah. it? It's, I mean, I, I suppose the very existence of, of, of a shadowy organisation like this is proof alone that that these kind of tweets and this kind of social media activity works, as otherwise they wouldn't be bothering. But I mean, in reality, well, in reality, how much of it works? If you know what I mean. I mean, you know, we, well, we hear I, all the I, time I, I that just... the Russians are at it, we're at it. I mean, who's buying all this stuff? Well, I, I, I'll give you two quick examples. Uh, the, uh, yesterday, I was the first uh, uh, of the uh, starting blocks on this daily record story. Yeah. And by the end of the day, uh, quite a few mountains had moved, including Andrew Neil. Uh, so, and that was only on social media. Two, two weeks ago, less than, uh, you remember that video of the Syrian boy refugee that was attacked yes. in Huddersfield in a school? Yes. Again, uh, I picked that up when nobody knew about it. Within 72 hours, the family had raised £150,000 to help them make a better life. Three and a half million people had watched the video. Hmm. Questions were raised in the house, and the alleged attacker was charged by the police, none of which had happened right. until I did that. So it, there, it's undoubtedly true that you can move mountains by information at the speed that information now travels at. So, yes, and um, I've got no problem with the British government using social media and so on in pursuit of its declared and transparent policies, because then you can argue with them. Yeah. But when it's secret and when you don't know who's saying what, you and I are frequently assailed, for example, mm. on social media. Sure. How do we know that the people attacking us on social media are who they say well, they are? Well, this is why I often quiz any sort of anonymous account troll-wise and say, look, you have the advantage over me. You know who I am. You know what I do. I don't know who you are. I don't have any idea whether you're motivated by by you know jealousy or hatred or anything. I just don't know. And also, if the government is funding fake news outlets, they can hardly attack fake news outlets for producing <laughs> fake news, can they? Exactly. Exactly. It's very Donald Trumpian, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's it's incredible. Uh, in, entirely circular. And these are the times that we are living in. I, I took the decision late last night. Unless I have evidence to the contrary, I'm going to assume that every journalist in Britain is 
a part of the integrity initiative <laughs> and is actually an agent of the British well, state. Well, I can and assure you that most of them that. wouldn't be worth paying any money to, to no, do no, that. No, no, no. Fish and chips in Achtermatty, <laughs> where the fish and chips are excellent. The Celtic bus used to stop there. Uh, the Celtic supporters bus used to stop there every Saturday night. It was fantastically yeah, good brilliant. fish and chips, which is no doubt why they set up an actor Mukti. No doubt. Well, listen, George, it's a fascinating story. I'm sure there'll be more to it, as you say, as uh, the days go on. And I'm sure you'll be talking about it still uh, on your show on Friday. Um, but meanwhile, uh, we shall watch as the uh, as the fun unfolds down in Westminster over the next 24 hours. What's your best guess? Do you believe that we'll have um, a, a, a Corbyn government by Christmas? Uh, no, I, I doubt that. I think the Tories will get rid of her, though, and uh, we'll have a new Tory Prime Minister by Christmas. Whether that will solve the problem with the EU is, of course, highly debatable. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's what I mean when I say, for the first time in my life, I've not got the foggiest what's <laughs> going to happen. It's incredible. It's great. It's I mean, it's great for, for us proper journalists, George. Great for us proper journalists who are not in anybody's pay. Thank goodness. Uh, but listen, I'll see you soon. Take it easy. 0344 499 1000. George Galloway uh, back on Talk Radio, of course, on Friday night uh, with the mother of all talk shows at 7 o'clock. But we will keep you abreast of this particular developing story up in Scotland because it's quite extraordinary, by the way. Uh, and if you want to have your say on it, you can tell us 0344 499 1000. Ross Kempsell uh, has uh, come back into the studio because we now have. I think absolute and utter um, uh, verification that the Brexit vote is indeed delayed. Ross, uh, tell us what's happening. Well, Mike, we don't have anything official from Number 10 yet. And within the last hour, we were told by Number 10 that the vote would not be pulled and would definitely be taking place on Tuesday night. But multiple government sources, I can say, now Mm. telling me, and uh, it's clear that there are other media reports of this, that the vote will be pulled. The Prime Minister is going to make an urgent statement to the House of Commons at 3.30 this afternoon. Straight after that, the leader of the House of Commons, Andrea Leadsom, is going to make a statement that suggests strongly, because she delivers the business statement, that the vote will be pulled. Now, the question is, how can the government actually do this procedurally? Labour have suggested that they would need to win another vote. That's what I thought they'd have to do. Yeah, Yeah, in in order to do this. We're going to find out the mechanism by which the government wants to do this. But there's no doubt, absolutely no doubt at all, that if this vote is being pulled, and it looks very strongly like it is now, this is a real disaster for Theresa May. She's essentially admitting by doing this that the House of Commons does not have confidence in her withdrawal agreement. It is not going to get through. Uh, She clearly has been told by the Chief Whip that she's facing a massive defeat here. And rather than face this defeat, it seems that they have chosen to pull the vote. This was not in her plan at all. It's not entirely clear what can happen next European Council on Thursday. We were told this morning by number 10 that uh, Theresa May would not be travelling to Brussels before Thursday. I wouldn't believe anything now. We were also told that she would not be making a statement to the Commons today. But it looks like, yes, uh, that that Brexit vote, that crucial vote, which we've been talking about for months, is now being pulled. I mean, it looks now not that they're governing by the day, but they're actually governing by the hour, doesn't it? Absolutely. I think that's a perfect characterisation of what's going on, Mike. This does not look like a strong and stable government at all, in Theresa May's words. I think the optics of this are extremely bad. Uh, Just to run you through the exact tick-tock of what happened, Mm. at about 11.15 this morning, we were told by number 10 that the the vote would go ahead uh, at a lobby briefing 
briefing tomorrow night and Mrs May was confident that she would win that vote. At about 11.28 in the morning, a flash came up on one of the wires reporting an unnamed source saying that the vote had been pulled. By 11.30, the Prime Minister was speaking to Cabinet colleagues on a telephone conference call, which I understand in the last few minutes is still going on. So that's been going on for over an hour now. Um, And it looks like uh, the result of that call is that the Prime Minister has either been advised to pull the vote or she has told her Cabinet colleagues that she intends to pull the vote. And that is now being reported by multiple sources. Okay, because of course we were told originally that even if she was to lose the first vote, uh, despite her saying she felt sure she was going to win it, uh, that that might be a good period of sort of um, consultation that would then take place, a period of reflection over the course of Christmas and then come back for another vote in the new year with the result that maybe some bad things would have happened in the meantime and everyone would have seen sense. All of that's now out the window, isn't it? Parliamentary time is running out because MPs are due to go on their holidays in two weeks' time. So if the Prime Minister wants to reschedule the meaningful vote, and I presume that is what the the business statement from Andrew Leadsom will be about, it's quite amusing, I have to say. There are government ministers who are out and about at the moment. They clearly have no idea what is going on. Um, They are speaking to the media and insisting still that the vote is going to go ahead which was the number 10 line just half an hour ago but this is an extraordinary morning for the government it shows you just how uh, febrile the atmosphere is it shows you just how uncertain things are Uh, and I think that this is no doubt at the moment uh, that this vote is being pulled, it's being called off. Theresa May is clear that she does not think that she can win, and that is a significant, significant admission of defeat for the Prime Minister, even if there isn't a vote to make it concrete in terms of numbers. Mm, and it looks as though uh, it's not going to happen. Ross, thanks very much indeed. Ross Campbell there, uh, Talk Radio's political editor, of course. Uh, there could be another update, Colsa, in about five minutes' time when they do another flip-flop, but we shall keep you updated with everything that happens uh, right here at Talk Radio and the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. The only place where you get the real truth about what's going on. Uh, This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.